millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. We were deeply saddened by the news last week of the passing of our friend Liam Scarlett. The world has lost a special talent and a bright light. He will be missed by many within the ballet world as he impacted so many dancers and their careers. We are sending love to his family and his friends around the world as we mourn with them. Conversations on Dance is proud to have Yumiko as a continued partner in 2021. Yumiko is a company inspired by beauty and standards. As a leader in the dancewear industry, they take great pride in their impact as a socially and environmentally conscious brand. As a part of this commitment, they've recently transitioned their workshop to 100% green energy, a substantial step in their sustainability journey. While staying devoted to eco-friendly production practices, Yumiko remains passionately focused on connecting and lifting the dance community to promote a more loving and equal world through the power of togetherness. For our listeners in the New York City area, Yumiko's flagship store is currently open with limited hours, or you can always shop online at yumiko.com. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Yumiko to participate in their weekly giveaways and to stay updated on all things 2021. I'm Rebecca King Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today, we are rejoined by friend of the pod, Gavin Larson, former principal dancer with Oregon Ballet Theater. We first spoke with Gavin in May of 2020 in episode 185 about her career and the then timely topic, teaching ballet on Zoom. Today, Gavin returns to talk with us about her book that is officially being released on April 27th, 2021. Being a Ballerina, The Power and Perfection of a Dancing Life. We got advanced copies of the book, which is truly wonderful and beautifully written. We talk with Gavin about her writing style, her process, and we share and react to small excerpts. If you would like to get Gavin's book, Being a Ballerina, The Power and Perfection of a Dancing Life, it is available on Amazon, IndieBound, and Bookshop. Links are available in the description of this episode. 
Gavin, we're so glad to have you back on. Um, you were such a wonderful guest last time, but now you are about to release a book. And I have to tell you before we get started, it is honestly one of the, my favorite dance books I've ever read. I, it is so beautiful and I can't wait to talk about it. I, had to, I was just like excitedly writing down little passages that I was just like, I, we need to get into this and people need to know about it. So I'm so excited to talk. Oh gosh, thank you, Michael, so much. That means so much to hear, it really does. Oh my gosh. That preface, though, <laughs> Michael, yeah. we were texting each other like, I, I'm we Polly. We in the second paragraph. Oh, <laughs> right, off, right off the bat. Yeah. yeah but so before, before we do that, before we start crying, um, <laughs> let's just do a little catch up from the time we last spoke, which was uh, mid-May, you know, peak COVID times. We were talking about trying to survive in the Zoom era. Um <laughs> But other than the book, what have, what have you been up to in this past year since we, we last spoke? Yeah, well, um, it's been a lot book related. Yeah. Honestly, but um, I have been teaching still um, at the Ballet Conservatory of Asheville here where I live. So that continued. I mean, I think in our last conversation, we talked about how we like took two days off and then mm. we were Zooming. Right. And so we've just been, you know, riding that wave ever since doing the whole evolution of like bringing some students back into the studio part of them and then, you know, building that back up um, over the summer and then into the fall. And then we actually managed to put together a nutcracker and um, yeah like Great. taught it in little tiny bits, like taught it to four people at a time. Mm -hmm. And then some of them were on zoom, some were in the studio. And then we went to the parking lot and put them in sneakers and they were able to like do the big sections all together in the parking lot. Wow. And then, yeah. And then we got it on stage and we actually filmed it in the theater that we use here That's and wow. no audience, but then, you know, right. like we did like a sort of school viewing party, everyone mm -hmm. at home on YouTube. Um, yeah, I know. So I mean, it was great. Like they got to they got to rehearse and learn choreography and learn right. new parts and then perform, even though it wasn't you know their parents were sitting out there. But it was mm -hmm. it was really really good to do. And and then we actually did that again just recently last month for um, a sort of a shorter like more contemporary mixed program that we usually do in the spring. Um, except this time we actually were able to bring some people into the theater. So they were like seated in little pods. And so, um, like an actual audience of people clapping and <laughs> oh, that's, that's so awesome. great. I mean, yeah. it's, it's easy to think of it as a lost year, but, uh, you know, I think a lot of students were able to have some sort of experience that, you know, if it's not the same, if it's not exactly that like magical nutcracker moment that you talk about in your book a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, it's still, it gave you, it gave them something and it, it was able to, you know, yeah. we didn't lose the year entirely. Gosh, oh yeah. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. And Nutcracker is such an important, I mean, when you're a little kid, it's like the most exciting ever. And to have missed that for so many kids, that's devastating. So I'm glad you were well, able to I kept thinking that. so much about, especially City Ballet because NSAB, I mean, like, well, you know, we can get into it. It's like all in my book, but um, that is such a huge deal for mm -hmm. so many of those kids. And mm -hmm. it's, I mean, I was thinking back, like if I had been 11 and suddenly there was Nutcracker was canceled one year, I mean, the end well, of the world felt yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. I remember, I think I was, I guess I was 15 was the first time I didn't do Nutcracker because I had gone SAB and, um, I didn't get cast in like, they used to do it in Stanford, Connecticut. 
Yes, so I did I was, that I, one too. Yeah, which I, I ended up doing. It was great. It was yeah. a wonderful experience. But, you know, I was too young. And so it was my first year not doing Nutcracker. And, you know, usually I feel like you're kind of jaded at 15. You're like, you might think you're too cool for Nutcracker. But I was so sad to lose <laughs> that. Yeah, I know. Um, I had one gap year, like the same thing. I was too mm-hmm. old for the SAB children's roles, mm-hmm. but not quite advanced enough to do the Stanford City Ballet Nutcracker yet. And so there's that one year where I didn't do Nutcracker and it just felt like it felt so wrong and I felt yeah. really left out and mm-hmm. sad. And- yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great that the kids got to have that. Yeah. Um, let's talk a, l- a little bit about um, your interest in writing. So obviously you didn't just wake up one day and say, and now I write a book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, were, were you writing at all during your, your um, while you were still dancing or um, what, what, what shape did your interest have at that point? You know, not really. Um, I, I think I kind of have a, a little bit of a knack for it because it's in my family. My father's a writer and he's uh-huh. written a bunch of books and he was also a, an English literature professor for like 30 years. Mm-hmm. And my mother is a book editor and a book review editor. Oh, wow. So, you know, a literary family, but, and like when I was gr- growing up in school, I guess I always got good grades on my book reports and stuff, but mm-hmm. I wasn't one of those kids who was always in creative writing class and always writing stuff just to do. Um, and then no, while I was dancing, I really didn't do any writing at all. Uh, it started right around the time that I stopped dancing, like mm-hmm. right on that sort of on that, um, that cusp. So, but I was always a voracious reader. I mean, mm-hmm. constantly, constantly tons and tons of everything, books, magazines, like, um, you know, every, month I would read before this was like before point and everything Mm -hmm. came out. It was just dance magazine only. And, you know, read it cover to cover like religiously. And um, the year before, I think it was the year before I retired from OBT, you know, they have that column in dance magazine called why I dance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I loved reading that one. And I, I mean, I often would read it and like, imagine what I would say, Mm -hmm. how would I explain that? And so um, it was like 2009, I think, and I, I got, you know, I knew I was about to stop dancing and I felt really compelled to write that column. I mm-hmm. really wanted to get it out there somehow. And so um, Martha Ullman West is a dance writer in Portland. She covers OBT extensively and has been a dance writer for many years and um, a really wonderful woman mm-hmm. and a friend of mine. And um so I approached her and I said, how, you know, how does that happen? And she said, well, uh, Wendy Perrin was the, at a, the editor of Dance Magazine at the time. And she said, well, I'll give you Wendy's address, <laughs> your email address. It's just email her. And so I did. And um, Wendy said, yeah, sure. Write it and send it to me and we'll see. And so I, I remember sitting in a coffee shop in Portland one day <laughs> and I just poured it out and said, well, let's see. And so I emailed it to Wendy and she liked it and said, mm-hmm. yeah, sure, we'll publish this. And so that was the first thing that I like really did. The first right. definitely thing I got published. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, and then from there, it actually began with more magazine stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you'll remember Michael, when we went to Seoul, South Korea on tour mm-hmm. with OVP and I had just retired at that point, but I was the children's ballet master and I was going to be uh, coaching all of the Korean children in the, in the Nutcracker roles and I thought this sounds like a, a magazine article. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I pitched it to Dance Teacher magazine mm-hmm. and they said, definitely, let's do that. So I wrote about that for them. 
Then the next year, when we went back to Seoul again, I wrote about it for Point from a different angle. And that's what got the magazine articles going. From there, I just got started getting assignments. And um, so that kind of got that going. But it was also around that time that I started writing just personally mm-hmm. in addition to the assignments. And I'll tell you the story of how that started. So, and, and, you know, again, Michael, this will ring true for you. So I was leaving the studio, the OBT studios one day, mm-hmm. and I just taught a class and um, in the main studio there, they were rehearsing Rite of Spring, Christopher Stowell's Rite of Spring. And they were rehearsing this one section. I had been in the ballet when he choreographed it. I think it was maybe just the, the year previously. And I was watching them rehearse it. And I just was hit like a ton of bricks with this feeling of it was so, I mean, I, I can't even really explain it, but like I was standing outside looking in and I could see myself in there in that group of dancers, even though I was mm-hmm. outside watching and like so many visceral memories were mm-hmm. so poignant right away. And I just, I went straight home and I, this sounds like a, this sounds like a story, but it's not, I went home and I sat down on my computer and I wrote this piece about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm start to finish. And it, it was, and now it's a chapter in the book. Um, mm-hmm. it, was, it was the very first piece I wrote and it was called, at first I called it oozing because <laughs> Christopher in that part, it's the human monolith part. I don't know if mm-hmm. you remember, but he would keep, he would like tell us, I want you to ooze your way into that formation. And so we all just informally just around us between ourselves called it oozing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, anyway, so I, I showed it to my dad because, you know, I thought you guys might, my, my parents, you guys might like sort of get a kick out of this. And they were like, this is good. You should actually, you know, you should maybe like submit it to, you know, a literary magazine or something. And I thought it was silly, but I did. And um, and anyway, I, I ended up getting published by a literary magazine called the Three Penny Review. Hmm. Um and that was kind of a big deal because I guess I didn't have any idea at the time, but I guess it's kind of a high profile literary journal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that, was, that was exciting. Um, uh-huh. And I, I just from that, I just started after that point, I started doing more and more pieces like that. Memory yes. kept coming back. And basically, I was afraid I was going to lose them if I didn't write them down. I had never mm-hmm. kept a journal. I never kept a diary. It seemed kind of like reading it that that would be like you had journaling done, but it's interesting that you like had these memories that came flooding back and then you like immediately put them down. So you kind of like journaled after the fact a little. Exactly. Yes. It really was like that journaling after the fact. what What I think is so great is that it makes like for the reader, it immediately invites them to summon their own memories in that way like you made me think about parts of my life that I hadn't thought about in so long it is like what you said like if you don't write it down it, it is kind of like I was like oh wow I almost lost that like I almost missed out on on that memory with this teacher at school at, at a certain age you know so I love that you you take the reader back to that place for themselves too even though it's about your personal experiences like it's just so um so relatable and that is exactly eventually that is exactly what became my goal Mm -hmm. or one of them was to not just tell my own life story. I mean, I'm also, I'm kind of embarrassed to call it a memoir because I just, I don't know. I didn't want to be like, ah, you know, I'm so special. Everyone needs to hear my story. Mm -hmm. 
my story is not that interesting or special or different. What it is, is everybody's mm-hmm. dance journey. You know, it's I ballerina's I, memoir. Exactly. And actually one, at one point, one of the titles was the everyday ballerina mm-hmm. because uh-huh. I thought like, I want to express the, what it means to be an artist, a dancer like this in terms of everybody's experience, mm-hmm. because we all have at its core, the same journey mm-hmm. and the same reasons for dancing. Mm-hmm. They're slightly different. There are, you know, different circumstances, but our, I feel like we have this bond, like our core people, we're all mm-hmm. the same. We have yeah. the bond. And I just wanted to figure out a way to express how, you know, we all have that and mm-hmm. telling it through the prism of my own experiences, but I knew we'd all, you know, have related and, and already the feedback I'm getting, like, like you guys said, some other people who read it already and former dancers and current dancers are like, this is like therapy reading it. It's like, it is. It I, I literally <laughs> said that to Michael. I was like, this feels like a therapy something. Yeah. I So we want to definitely dive into that, but I want to kind of like jump back to more of the origins. So when this piece, your oozing piece was published, did any other opportunities arise from that? Were people contacting you looking for more? What was the next step? Well, from there, after I got that first piece oozing published in that journal, I started submitting other pieces that I wrote afterwards to different journals all over the Mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. And um, a few of them got picked up. And so a handful, I think five or six that are now chapters in the book um, were published in different literary magazines. Mm -hmm. And so to do that, I just, you know, there's like gazillions of them out there and you just pour through them and like, do the application. Right. <laughs> so at what point at this point, you know, if you had five or six um, of these little anecdotes, these stories that are, you know, throughout the book, you have just kind of, I love that it'll be like a specific moment that speaks to a broader theme in a dancer's life. Like, I mean, the ballerina doll story was just <laughs> like so triggering, but no. it just, you know, you're about, you're speaking about this thing specifically of this dancer because that is that that's in third person that one right yeah mm-hmm. yeah okay so you, you know you're speaking about this dancer and um who is casting something feels good in it and then um all of a sudden it gets taken away from them for no real reason that they can discern Mm-hmm. Um, that's just so universal. And it's about that person's moment, but like that happens, that will happen to one consistently through a whole career. And that like sort of roller coaster of like getting an opportunity, feeling pretty good about it, and then having it wordlessly taken away from you is just something we all experience repeatedly. Mm-hmm. And that does help. It, it, I mean, it shapes your character going Mm -hmm. forward. It's like, I feel like, you know, every incident like that, it's like a little, you know, not necessarily, well, it's a little bit of a scar. I mean, it's a little bit of a a shaping of how you then go and move forward the next day. And all of these little, you know, quote unquote, little experiences, little moments, each one is forming you for your next day and your next season Mm -hmm. and your, your next step in your, in your dance, dancing. And so exactly what you said a moment ago um, is, is 
oh, oh, re, let me see how I should say this. Um, I, I wrote the book the way I did because I wanted to use those little individual snapshots to encapsulate larger mm-hmm. themes. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, the book as it's structured now is actually more cohesive and linear than I had actually originally intended it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really did in my mind at first, when I started to realize I'd accumulated enough of these little essays to maybe put them together into something bigger. I really thought of it as a patchwork quilt where mm-hmm. each essay was like two pages at the most. Mm-hmm. And some would be like, you know, as you've seen as short as a paragraph or two. And I would just patch those together in a way that would at the end, the person reading it would understand the arc of a career or a mm-hmm. dancing life. Right. And, um, you know, different editors were like, well, we need a little bit more uh, context than that. Sure. So I, so I, then I worked to add in some of the linking sections that give context and explanation and background to what's happening and where I am and stuff like mm-hmm. that. That's so interesting. Cause I, I find <clears throat> the structure so fascinating and it, it there's like such a uh, distinct voice to it. So did the editors kind of, it seems like the editors must have kind of helped you find that directive to make it a little more than the patchwork. And my guess is they have no idea about ballet, these editors. So they probably helped like bring that part of it in too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, they did know something about ballet. Um, yeah. The, um, the first person who, the first editor who really pushed me to change up a little bit. The structure is a woman named Mindy Aloff, who oh, yeah. worked for the University Press of Florida. Yeah, dance mm-hmm. writer as well, written mm-hmm. a ton. And she read, um, I think she first read it, my gosh, probably like two years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And yeah, this has been a process. I'm sure. <laughs> and she was the first person to tell me, you need to like, yeah, put more of your personal story in here. Mm-hmm. Can't just be about you as the dancer. We, you know, we want to know more about who you are when you're not dancing. And um, yeah, they, there was some pushback about the use of different voices, not all, not having it all my voice and about it not being uh, chronologically linear. Mm-hmm. And so we negotiated um, and I did change a bunch of it. I added some more sections that, like I said, just sort of preface why the next, the following section is not in my own voice. Right. Um, but, and, and yeah, I do think it changed it for the better. I really do. Mm-hmm. I'm really, that's what editors do. They, they see what's there and how to make it better. And so I'm really grateful that I wasn't, you know, a stick in the mud and totally like, well, no, never mind. I'm walking away with my masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> You're a ballet dancer. You took notes and you mm-hmm. applied those corrections. Oh my gosh. So true, Rebecca. I mean, I like, oh yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, Whatever you want. I'll yes, yes. Right away. <laughs> when you, when you bring up the menu was saying you needed to put more of yourself in, I, I just think about the chapter where you're talking a little bit more about your personal life. Um, I forget the exact title, but it's about your cat and your boyfriend at the yeah. time. <laughs> the and it's just like, to me, that it that essay felt like, I don't know, I was reading like an Ann Patchett essay or something. You know, yeah. it, like it didn't have any, like your voice was just so um, interesting and distinctive. It, it was a little bit about ballet. You were recovering from an injury and all that. and But it was just like you, I think you just have such a great voice as a human. Like it's like, you're inherently interesting to read. It's inherently interesting to read your story, even when it's not just like about the things that we love so much, like the theater and class and all that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I do think that was a good idea, Mindy. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing, because th- speaking about how it's not chronological, um, like I love in the beginning, you it goes back and forth between like the early days of like being a, a baby baby and not really knowing what ballet is and then contrasting okay. that with being um, a professional dancer. And then at the end, you have that that same effect that you're creating in the beginning in a single story when you talk about doing Sugar Plum and seeing the children and like the sort of vast difference like it's the same art but like what a child experiences performing in the nutcracker versus what an adult is going through so i thought that was like that sort of full circle moment was was beautiful oh thanks i'm, I'm really glad you guys um appreciate that that was I, I was i liked that too i i really thought that was that was definitely by design the back and forth mm-hmm. particularly at the beginning mm-hmm. because i did want to show how you know even decades later the process is kind of the same as it was when you were like 11. Or right. Totally. Whatever. It's yeah. just a little bit more sophisticated and more complex, but you know, the thing is like, it just doesn't change. And that's yeah. the theme that carries you through your whole life. Mm-hmm. Right. So then after, you know, you're having editors starting to look at this, what's the process then from there to actually publish this book? Well, so first uh, Mindy Aloff, read it. And that was kind of, she was um, an editor at UPF at the time. I think she still is. Um, But she was reading it kind of outside of that Mm -hmm. capacity. And so she, you know, we had this phone call and I mean, she doesn't know this, but I'll tell you and she'll probably hear about it. But like, I was actually like in tears because I, it was, she was, you know, she knew I, you know, she's like, you can take this. You've been a dancer your whole life. Like you can take critique and you know what to do with it. You're not just going to like melt. Right. And I was like, I was just, I was kind of like floored and, but you know, I was like, okay, let's, let's do this. And so I, I went away and I think it was maybe two or three or four months at least to try to fix and implement some of the things she, she had said and send it back to her. And I remember very distinctly um, when she replied uh, after I'd resent the revisions to her because it was on my birthday <laughs> and, and she wrote back and said, I love it. I'm going to send it to the acquisitions editor at UPF. And I was like, hallelujah, this is amazing. Yes. <laughs> so then the acquisitions editor read it. Mm-hmm. And then from there, because it's a university, it's an academic press, it's not a commercial press. So the mm-hmm. process is a little different. So from there, even once the acquisitions editor maybe likes it, then it has to go to peer review, which means they send it, they identify professionals in your field who to read it and critique it on its merits, different types of merits. And so that process took a few months. Um, and they, all of those people, those anonymous um, reviewers came back with various critiques that then I was supposed to work on and implement mm-hmm. Were those and very like technical ballet critiques? Like what kind of critiques came from that or more literary? It was more structural literary. Yeah. yeah about again, about like the format because right. it hadn't fully yet evolved to what it is now. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, about the format and about certain pieces, maybe not even, sh- not even being, having a place in there. Right. And there were some pieces I took out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah. I want to read those. I want yeah. the B-sides. <laughs> Send us the B-sides. They're on the cutting room floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what, what I wonder is, 
is there um, a, a learning curve for how to take criticism for your writing? Because as a dancer, of course, you've developed your own taste over decades. So like sometimes, you know, a coach will, you have a coach that you click with and you're just like, yes, I take everything at face value. I do what you say. I believe in you. And then you have some people in the room that you're just like, mm, your opinion yeah. is kind of garbage. <laughs> um, but like when, since you're, you know, you're creating your, your first book, um, how did you sort of know when to say yes or no to, to the criticism? You know, it's really interesting because, you know, as a dancer, I was very much like you just said, like any, any critique or direction or guide, I was like, oh yes. Okay. Yes. You must be right. I must be wrong. You must be right. I must be wrong. I must mm -hmm. do everything you say. And, but as a writer, I feel like I'm kind of different. And mm -hmm. so the first critical well, critique that I got, mm -hmm. I, I kind of bristled and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, this is mine. I wrote this. How can you say there's anything wrong with it? Yeah. It's very different from when I was dancing, but, um, I did learn to, you know, <laughs> not take that as, I mean, again, like a dance, like you can't take it as hard as it is. You can't take it as like a score against you as a person. Mm -hmm. And, um, I did learn actually how to incorporate the feedback without totally changing my, uh, my mission. And so that was kind of a learning curve for me as a writer. I so, I, you know, I had not, I'm totally uneducated as a writer. I never took any, I took one memoir writing workshop and that's it. I, I mm -hmm. no nothing else. You are such a beautiful writer for everyone. Like, I hope that people get this book. It, it's so beautifully written, just even from like the first paragraph. I'm just mm -hmm. like, oh my God, so descriptive and beautiful. Ugh, loved it. I mean, we can always go back to the process, but I do <laughs> want to start like, because it's just so quotes. beautiful. I'm going to read from, can I read a little bit from the preface? Yes. It's um, this line. This was when I, the first time I cried, first of 25 times <laughs> that I cried in the book. <laughs> but, <clears throat> okay, so this is uh, in the preface. And, and you say, people often said to me that when I retired, I would, quote, find myself, which I took to mean that I might discover other aspects of my spirit that had been squished down, that had remained hidden or dormant, while I was busy being a dancer. But as I suspected would be the case, the opposite has been true. I've always known who I am. Spending most of my time wrapped up in dance and all the peripheral things that it required did not hide me from myself. Like I just, it's it's so beautiful. Just, and that's in like the first page. And I, I just like, that immediately hits home at like, I don't know, dancers, we all have such a strong sense of identity. And I think that um, there, you know, there some people can be a little dubious from the outside and be like, like exactly what you said. They'd be like, oh, you know, you're going to find yourself and you're going to be like, oh, like all the things that I missed out on. And you just like, what you actually realize is you never missed out on anything. Yes, exactly. That is exactly it. And that's, you know, that, that was again, that was another goal of mine was to ex try to explain, explain to people who aren't like you and I, you mm -hmm. and I, like who aren't in that life and haven't mm -hmm. lived this life what it really means, you know, like there's so much out there now about ballet. It's like kind of on the popular culture radar and which is great, mm -hmm. but you know, so much of it is superficial and inaccurate and dramatic right. and hyper sensationalized. And um, I realized that as I was writing this and like expressing these little individual segments of what 
end up encapsulating and, you know, making a whole life in dance is that it's in these little moments that, that that really express what it truly means. Mm -hmm. Like there's the drama inherent in the life itself, Mm -hmm. not the drama of, you know, the love affair or the scandal or the, Mm -hmm. Right. You know, the injuries are part, you know, I do write about the injuries, but to kind of illustrate a deeper thing about right. effect on you personally, not, yes. you know, like, ooh, bloody, gory toes. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I really wanted to show the true drama of dance itself. Mm-hmm. I I find that so interesting um, when you were talking about that, that passage that Michael just read about finding yourself. And I think that one thing that the three of us have communicated about before offline about like being retired, you know, a lot of the things is that we find that we are great employees. We work really hard. We still have this work ethic from ballet that carries us through. And I feel like I'm hearing that too. in what you're talking about with your writing Mm -hmm. where you found yourself as a writer, but really you were still, you're still a ballet dancer and it's Mm -hmm. still that work ethic that comes from ballet that you found a new part of yourself, but it's, you were always had yourself, you know, you've always, always already found yourself. So I find that beautiful. Thanks. Yeah. There's a little, there's a little bit more. It's actually the paragraph right after that is just like (laughs) gutted us. Um, But you say, but now when I look back in time, what I wonder is just who exactly the dancer person was. I'm in awe and even disbelief sometimes that she and I are the same being. My dancer self really does feel like a quote, she, Another person inside me, like a Russian nesting doll, uncovered then, but now sheathed in an outside layer that looks that looks exactly the same, but is just a shell. Like, woo! <laughs> I mean, and I, I know it, it's not meant to necessarily be uh, well depressing, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah. but like, the, the, like the times when I've been like, I am a shell because I don't have the the she in me. <laughs> you yeah. know, I don't have yeah. that. Like it, it, and you do start to feel more and more distanced and separate from a, yeah. a person. But just to like read someone who can articulate your own feelings so beautifully, it's just really powerful. No, thanks. I'm, I'm really glad that you, you know, you found that in it. I, I, I really had no idea. I really had no idea how, how other dancers would, sure. you know, if, if they would, if they find themselves in it or not. And I, mm-hmm. I mean, to, to hear, start hearing from people that, that you are and that people are is like, that's amazing. I mean, I just feel like we're having this great big, huge, like unification ceremony. <laughs> yeah. Michael, yeah. you said something else though, about when you and I were talking about the Russian doll part of it. Oh yeah. And then I, you know, I think that that idea when I was at the beginning, when I was noticing like um, the way you would go back and forth between, you know, personalizing it and then making it a little bit more about you know about someone else I was like they made me think of the Russian nesting doll like those stories are about the she you know and then it goes back to you like it's a it that's what I was thinking when I was reading the book (laughs) yeah you know it's funny like the reason why I started out writing um those early chapters in in the third person voice Mm -hmm. or you know so that the reader is like looking in not I don't know so like yeah, so it wasn't quite the same as a as a normal memoir would be. Right. Um, that was actually a way to like protect myself mm. and feel like brave enough to be completely open and honest. Because somehow putting my name and saying I did this, I did that, I mm-hmm. felt this, this happened to me, was like 
I don't know if I can be that blunt. Mm-hmm. I, I'm private. I'm like a really shy private person. And so the, again, like going back to the fact of like writing my own life story, it was completely like, oh, not, not something I wanted to do. Um, so I thought, well, let me write it. It's not fiction. Everything mm-hmm. is completely factual, but right. I'm just going to write it as if say that I'm telling it like someone else's story, even though it's my own. And that right. helped me be braver about it. And, right. and then I realized later it was, it's exactly like being on stage. You know, we all as performers, you feel so bold on stage because it's kind of safe. Mm-hmm. It's like you're in a costume, you're a character, you're doing someone else's choreography. You're not, you know, really bearing your own soul, even though you are, because mm-hmm. you're doing it just because I'm a dancer and this is what I do and this is theater and it's all theatrical. But you're really like, you know, bearing your soul in front of mm-hmm. thousands of people. But it feels powerful and it feels safe because there is that buffer of performance quality. And that's how I felt about writing mm-hmm. um, this book. And that's why I wrote so much of it in a different person's voice. I love that. I think that's something that Michael and I struggle a lot with um, just in this forum of like, you know, what we feel comfortable saying, what we don't feel comfortable saying. And so um, I wonder if you did have times where you wrote something, you're like, oh, this is too scary. Like, I don't want to go there. But it feels like you're so open about what happened in a great mm-hmm. way that we all need. But there's this inherent fear as dancers of like, well, what if they read that and thought that of me? And and mm-hmm. it's it's something that's so instilled in us. Is that something that you were battling with? Oh, yeah. And I, I'm <laughs> battling with it right now. Let me tell you. <laughs> are now you? It's out there and people yeah. are reading it. I'm like, <gasps> Oh, wait, people are reading it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah, particularly the latter parts of the book where it does go more into my own voice, almost mm-hmm. predominantly towards the end. And, um, you know, the chapters where I'm describing like my retirement and the times leading up to that. Mm-hmm. And I get very specific about events and people. Um, and then also, <laughs> you know, the, the boyfriend and the cat chapter, that one was mm-hmm. That was not easy because, right. you know, yeah, it wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, but so I went through a process of thinking, okay, who do I need to contact? Who's in the book that I need to ask and make sure that it's okay that, you know, they feel okay about being in there and can I use their name or should I change their name or right. descriptor? Um, and so I did go through and, and luckily everybody agreed. Yeah, it's okay. I let them read their section and mm-hmm. they all said, yes, it's fine. And you can use my name or not. And, Right. So, yeah, I'm curious if you picked up on um, the SAB teachers, the unnamed. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course that was did. as plain as day. <laughs> I love that. I know, but I mean, yeah, I, those. It, yeah, I mean, it's the you're very honest, and but it's all none of you don't ever put anyone in a bad light, and it's just that's your story, that's your truth, and um, I think that it is important to say it, and it's just like. You know, it matters to people that maybe think that their own experiences or voices don't matter or like that they they can have something to relate to in that way. I think it's, you know, it's such a great thing. The only other book I can think of that isn't just, um, you know, like, oh, this is a great, successful superstar putting a book out. It's <laughs> winter season. And that was all I remember when I read that in school at SAV, it just was, it meant so much to me mm-hmm. to have that voice. Yeah. That, that, was, that, really book was, 
it was so real. That book totally was formative for me. Mm-hmm. I read that when I was at SAB too, like right when I started at SAB, like, I think I read it my, like the first year I did Nutcracker or something. Yeah. I was a kid. And she was still in the company, Tony Bentley. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I remember like trying to see if Gary L could like get her to sign my book for me and it never happened. But uh-huh. yeah, that book I read over and over and over again, just devoured it. And that yeah. was definitely like kind of an inspiration for the format of this one. You know, she wrote, writes that almost all in her voice, but there are a couple of those sections that are, she says, I'm going to write this as fiction. Right. We don't really know if there are fiction or not. Or right, right, right. Yeah. So I love that, um, that sort of journaling idea, even though I'm not calling it a journal and it's not a journal, but you know, like the episodic format. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I also think you just, you do such a good job of presenting like the complications of ballet without, and not like judging them necessarily one way or another. And just, you know, it's, it's not, all like rainbows and sunshine and like the Toomey moment, for instance. Yeah. Like, like that was, it's very rough to read. It's about Tumkovsky just like berating a student and humiliating them in front of everyone. And then the student having to be like, okay, I'm going to pull this back together. And then Toomey says, good, you know? But it's like, we all had moments like that. And it's, it's just like reading back, I'm like, is that abusive? Like, is that certainly not my teaching style? Yeah. And then, but then like, you're like, as a dancer, sometimes you're like, well, maybe that did get an effect out of me that um, I was grateful for. It, it gets very confusing, but I think you just deliver it in a way that it just, that's what it is. It's complicated, mm-hmm. but it's your life. And that's what we experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It is very complicated and definitely times have changed now. I don't think that type of, um, you know, teaching style would, would happen now. Um, but, you know, I, it's interesting because that, that didn't harm me mm-hmm. at all. Right. It really didn't. I mean, if anything, it proved, helped me prove to myself how strong I could be mm-hmm. um, and how determined I was. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, I guess, yeah, now it would definitely be called verbal abuse, emotional abuse. Um, But I I didn't feel abused. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, probably the next week, Toomey came back into class and it was as if nothing had happened. And, you know, totally back to normal. And it wasn't like I was suddenly scared of her or we're all scared of Toomey in a way. (laughs) (laughs) Not anymore. So, yeah. And it's also just like a super, I mean, that's so old world. Like Toomey. That's to me was I think born before Balanchine. She was she definitely she died after she was a hundred, right? Yeah, I mean, very elderly. She was she was a turn of the century moment, you know, in time. So it's also it's a different world. Yeah. But um, yeah, we I mean we've all had moments like that where someone in the front of the room cuts you down to size. So But yeah. you know, I think it's good to to, to talk about it and to share these experiences that we all have like like for instance that ballerina doll um chapter and then when you're talking about also like how you can be scared on stage and like how you can doubt yourself like all of these moments and then the the ballerina doll part sorry being about how you had a role taken from you and you it wasn't communicated and you weren't told why and I think just like reading those moments I kind of was like wow, principal dancers feel this way too? You know, it's kind of like, 
almost hard to even realize that we've all been through those moments and someone who can look so confident and Mm -hmm. beautiful on stage can inside just being like, well, that was, that was terrible. Why did you do that? Like you can't even imagine that those are thoughts that you can be having. Exactly. Like the, like the fact, like how just because you went on and had your, you know, a great career that you felt really satisfied by, it doesn't mean in that early moment when you're trying to break out, like that didn't like shape you in a way too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, later on in the, in the book, there's a chapter, it's a, that nutcracker, like the back and forth, the first mm-hmm. nutcracker. And then looking back um, when I was sugar plum, looking back at the children's experience and I had a total meltdown before a performance of sugar plum. And just, um, you know, I kind of describe it as like, there was like one pirouette in that variation that I just couldn't do. And I couldn't do it and I couldn't do it and I couldn't do it. And like the clock is ticking and, you know, I'm tinkering with it. And like, I can't get it right. I'm falling mm-hmm. on my face and I have to go and like put on makeup. And I was like, I, I can't take this pressure. Mm-hmm. I cannot handle this pressure anymore, but I have to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, you know, that's an experience. And that's something that we all feel like that performance pressure. And I don't think it, that can really be um, overestimated. Mm-hmm. It's, it's significant and people handle it in different ways. And that's something I want the, the wider world to know about because that's um, like the mental strength that dancers have I think is definitely, um, you know, kind of just given lip service to, but it's not mental strength. I mean, yes. Okay. So, you know, a teacher berates you and you, you go to kind of get defiant, like, okay, well, no, I'm going to prove her wrong. Mm -hmm. But then you berate yourself Mm -hmm. and have to like fight yourself. I I wrote, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. I just, I wrote, or I copied a, a part where you talk about that too. And then you say, you talk about, um, it's just this sentence. The cruel thing is that once your body does something right, you should, by the principles of physics, be able to do it again exactly the same way whenever you want to. And then you go on to talk about how, you know, you can't because you're battling your mind. Like, it's just like, that is the ex- extra component there that like, it's just like, yeah, your body is not a machine. Like there are days where it will break down and then your mind will be what actually ultimately leads to your demise. I mean, you can, I'm sure you were doing that pirouette in, in your variation completely fine some days. And then that just comes out of the blue. Like I remember Giovanni Furlan doing um, symphony in three movements and did the turning couple. And there's a, you finish, you do a double assembly and run off stage. And just like one day it was just like, I don't know what happened. You know, it happens to all of us. He just like couldn't do it. And he was just crying and crying before the curtain was going to go up and like knowing that like there it was going to come and he was just going to do his double awesome that he'd done every day, but mm-hmm. like for some reason can't do it today. And today is the day of the show. Mm-hmm. Like that's just a very real, that's our reality as yeah. dancers. Yeah. Yeah. It's our reality. And, you know, <laughs> I'm sure you guys feel the same way. And a lot of other people listening feel the same way that one of my hugest pet peeves is, you you know, you meet someone on the street or whatever, who's totally not in the dance world at all. And they say, oh, so what do you do? Well, I'm a ballet dancer. And their reaction is like, oh, how fun is that? And <laughs> well, what's your job? Oh, you do that. And then what's your actual job? Yeah, oh. exactly. <laughs> so, you know, in addition to wanting to illustrate the bond that we all share in our dance lives. I also wanted to make sure that there was a way to like, honestly 
explain and clearly express to people who aren't in the ballet world, who aren't dancers, who have no connection to it, like what it really means. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I you think really you do. <laughs> yeah. I think you, you do such a beautiful job of that. I mean, I don't want to make myself cry on the podcast, Aww. but let's see this one line. I mean, I also don't want to read your whole book. <laughs> 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 I won't be able to buy it. <laughs> um, but I just felt like this is such a, you captured this moment. So you're talking about the big overhead lift and um, sort of towards the end of the Nutcracker Potata. And of course it's Tchaikovsky. So it's beautiful. And you know, you're the sugar plum and it's um, everything in that moment. And you say, but suddenly at the height of the lift and on that one magnificent note, everything was crystal clear. This is the apex of life. This is the happiest, a person, happiest person. <laughs> now, <laughs> this is the happiest person on earth can be a person on earth can be. This is perfection. I may never be this happy again. And that's okay. Ooh. <laughs> you know, it's just like that. I don't know. It's you, you say it so simply, but it's just so true. It's like you have those moments and you just know that what we do is so special and um, and ephemeral, but you got to have it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we've all had moments like that where, you know, a, a certain ballet or a certain certain moment is just so amazing mm -hmm. that it just can't be equaled. Yeah. Yeah. It just, yeah. And that those are like, beyond priceless right mm -hmm. yeah uh i'm crying <laughs> rebecca's done she's oh. out <laughs> um oh michael you wanted to talk about the perfect adagio too oh i love that section too um you know it's i feel like it's a kind of a running joke after black swan the like i was perfect thing and like but it is such a uh it's what we are doing we're seeking perfection and we never feel it and you talk about like satisfaction okay but you had this one moment where you're just doing adagio in class and you felt, you felt it, you felt perfect, you know? And it's like, I think it also to me ties into um, like, you talk about all the components of ballet. You talk about the stage a lot, of course, but like how much those moments of classwork and like the rituals of pre preparing, um, those are all like these beautiful moments that we treasure too. And like for you, like that feeling of perfection in an adagio where you're surrounded by your peers with no audience and, you know, just the piano is like, that matters as much too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, for the record, I want to say, I'm sure that adagio was not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you know, the way you describe felt it and, and what you, what you yeah. felt. You know? yeah, exactly. I think it was like, you know, like that incredible feeling of like when you can do a develop pay and not have to like paddle your bottom foot. But it's yes. like, so satisfying mm -hmm. yeah oh yeah and I just wanted to be like oh my god I gotta milk this come on don't mess with the next develop hey come uh, on dude, let's go for three you're on <laughs> you're on yeah. yeah but yeah it's totally all I mean yeah the performance moments are like apex climaxes but mm -hmm. it's really about the hours and the camaraderie and like your ritual in the studio every day and um yeah how how rich those are. Mm -hmm. yeah. So at the end of the preface, which was a 
as we've already said, very emotional. <laughs> you <laughs> kind of gave me the impression that perhaps this book might be a way for you to kind of like process your career and find meaning in what you had experienced. Um, so now that the book has been com- is completed and their arrival date or the uh, release date is almost here, some people are already getting it. How have you felt that um, the process of writing this book has affected you personally? Oh, it is definitely been a processing process Um, really really has yeah I mean it was like therapy for me too Mm -hmm. it really was um not so much the early year um recollections and depictions but you know like the mid mid career onto the end um yeah figuring out how to express those things that happened in Mm -hmm. that way uh it really it really helped me figure out a lot about myself and why I had done things a certain way and why I had been the kind of dancer that I was. Um, oh yeah. It, yeah, it really did. I just, yeah, I totally self self therapy. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds um, very therapeutic. And- it was, it was, it was. <laughs> and um, it was gratifying, really, really gratifying to, I mean, like I said earlier, you know, I, I, my career like taken by itself was not remarkable. I mean, I was successful. Yeah. And I did some great stuff and I worked with some great people, but it wasn't like famous, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I just, I wanted to express and I, and I came to really accept and really love the fact that it wasn't that I was, you know, an everyday ballerina, mm-hmm. the normalcy of the sublime. Mm. Uh. I love that so much. I, I I hope everyone gets their copy and reads it and has their own therapy like we have because it's it's so. I mean, it's a beautiful book, and um, you know, for dancers and non-dancers alike, I think it, it's so relatable. Um, but f- before we round this out, I want to ask what you personally hope that people take away from the book. Well, I really hope that dancers and former dancers and audience members and teachers and students um, who read it feel that connection to, you know, to like the universal dancing self, um, Mm -hmm. you know, who, who feel themselves in it and, and maybe learn a little bit about themselves as a, as a dancer and as a person when they read it. Um, And then, like I said a little earlier for, for others, I think other artists in other forms are, and athletes for sure will really, really relate to it. I think the parallels in different art form practices and in different pursuits are there and they're really strong. And I'll be really curious to hear how, um, how other, you know, people outside of ballet react to it and what they, you know, what their impressions are, but, um, and I'd also love for it just to be like appreciated as a piece of literature, you know, the dance element aside. Um, I am pretty proud of how the book came together in terms of the format and the structure, mm-hmm. you know, and eventually um, it's really unique. And um, I'd love for, for that to be just appreciated for itself too. Um, do you have more hopes in the future to write more and maybe something that's not dance related? I do. I definitely yeah. do. Um, I have a lot of ideas cooking, but nothing that's jumped out as like being strong enough or compelling enough yet to, mm-hmm. to you know, form. But, um, but I really, really do. I mean, more dance related stuff. Yeah. But I kind of feel like, I don't know, I might need to go into something non-dance because 
this book is like, that's all. <laughs> oh my God. That's Put it all there. I got. Yeah. It's out right. there now. Yeah. I'm not sure what else I can write. Right. Um, yeah. So if people wanted to order the book, what is the best way? And we will put a link in the description of this episode too, so that people can find it really easily, but let us know the best way to order it. Well, there's a lot of ways. Um, University Press of Florida is the publisher. So you can order it directly from their website, which is upf.com, or you can obviously get it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Um, but I'm, I'm suggesting that people go to a website called IndieBound, mm-hmm. which You'll, you know, you type in the title of the book or the author that you're looking for, and it will direct you to um, local bookstores near you that are selling it where you can buy it either in person or online. And so that's a nice way to support your local bookseller. So indiebound.com is a good way to find it as well. Good. We'll definitely well, do thank that. Thank you so much, Gavin. This was such a wonderful interview. It was always a pleasure talking to you. And we can't um, encourage our listeners enough to go out and get your book and feel all the feelings we felt. So thanks, thank Gavin. You. Thank you both so much. I really, <laughs> really you. appreciate your your support and your, your reactions. I mean, feeling such emotional reactions from other dancers is like everything. It's just everything. It's so, genuine. As you can tell, the tears are real. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Gavin. Thanks so much. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.